Praise the Lord. It's a beautiful Sunday to be together, one week away from Mother's Day. You're welcome. Husbands and fathers, you are welcome for that reminder. Uh, do not forget that next Sunday is Mother's Day. You will regret that lapse of memory. You can forget a lot of things, but don't forget that. And also your anniversary, as well as birthday. Amen. Praise the Lord. It's good to be together. We are going to be diving into the Word of God today. Last week was such a special week of celebrating. It's been a few weeks back to back of just celebrating uh, God's goodness. We had baptisms, as was mentioned. Uh, we, we celebrated Easter, Resurrection Sunday, um, and we are just on a roll. And so today we're going to continue that, and we'll be focusing on what it looks like to create an altar of worship within our homes, an altar of worship within our homes. A significant uh, aspect of what it looks like for us to live out our faith. It's one thing to be together in church. It's one thing to study the word, to worship together, but it's another thing to make sure that whatever it is that God is doing and shaping within us in this space doesn't stay in this space. We talked last week about the Great Commission when Jesus gathered his disciples together and he said, go, right? Remember, we talked about it last week. Go, therefore, he says, and make disciples of all people, all nations, all ethne. And we talked about the significance of recognizing that the gospel was never intended to stay stagnant or to stay in one place. And from a church perspective, it means it was never intended to stay within these walls, this is not where we practice our faith. This is where we build our faith so that we can practice our faith outside of these walls. Right? Church isn't where we come to check off the box that we're taking care of that religious aspect of our lives or that spiritual component, and then we go other places to check off the other boxes. Right? It's significant for us to recognize that as we study the Word of God, as we worship, worship is, in fact, a lifestyle. Somebody say, worship is a lifestyle. Right? That's why we're careful oftentimes to not just refer to the, you know, 10, 15, 20, 25 minutes that we usually devote to having our music team lead us into song. That's a significant part of devotion and that we recognize in those moments God can connect with our hearts and we could learn how to raise our hands and sing songs that reflect the scriptures. But that moment within the, 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 the schedule of our worship experience together is not necessarily the definition of worship, worship is an invitation to live our lives in such a way that brings honor and glory to God. Right? So, so really, in a lot of ways, singing songs is training ground. Um, listening to the, the word of God being preached within the house of God is training ground. Right? Coming to Wednesday night Bible study, training ground. It's all training ground because we are being called to live out our faith especially when we walk out of these doors. And that's, again, the beauty of being part of Christian community. Um, now, so today, as we get ready to talk about building an altar for the Lord within our homes, um, I, I want to just kind of reflect on the ways in which I am grateful that uh, I was blessed to be raised in a home that modeled that for me. So in a lot of ways, it's not a guessing game. It's not, oh, I wonder how to do that. It's, it's, you know what? I remember how this was modeled for me, and I remember these very special moments, and those are moments that have stayed with me and have shaped the way that I want to be a dad, that I want to be a husband, right? That I want to live my life in such a way that brings honor and glory to God. 
Um, in this space, I get to be called Pastor Kobo. When I get home, nobody's calling me Pastor Kobo over there. Right? That would be awkward. I don't know. No offense if there's any pastors in here that make your families call you pastor at home, but they, they, don't, they don't do that at my house, right? Um, uh, you know, hey, pastor, can you make me some, some eggs this morning? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I love being at home because, you know, again, at APU, sometimes they call me Pastor Koba or Dr. Koba here at, at church, Pastor Koba. And then, you know, when I get home, it's like a, a big slice of humble pie. Fold the laundry, mop the kitchen, right? Um, especially following around Micaiah, my three-year-old. That guy is something else. It's a good slice of humble pie to hang out with him for a while. Especially because he's got the wit of his grandfather. And, uh, and he has the, uh, the quick replies of his grandfather as well. Um, and so I've got a, he said something the other day and I looked at Dre and I said, that's, Pat, that's my dad right there, just straight up. So anyway, it's interesting to raise my dad, you know? Well, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so growing up in our home, one of the things that was beautiful as we think about this moment of establishing an altar of worship, an altar of prayer unto the Lord. Um, what I want to propose this morning as an invitation to consider how to live that out on a consistent basis is in some ways pushing against some of the tendency that we have to compartmentalize our lives and even our faith. Uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, you might think, okay, the best way to establish an altar at home is make sure that at least X number of days throughout the week for X period of time, there is like nothing else going on, everything else is shut down, and that you make sure you come together for a particular period of time. Now, what I would say is that is an important thing to do, but make sure that as you think about that, you take into consideration the developmental stage of your kids, all right? I remember being in some family devotions when I was a kid, and we'd be, I'd be like five years old, and, and we were having like an hour and a half long Bible study discussion, and I'm like, I got to get up and move, right? This is, this is going a little long, right? And so when I raise my little, my three-year-old, I don't make sure, Micaiah, sit there, okay? Sit there. Don't move. Sit there, right? That's like, if I try to train my kid, my three-year-old kid, how to follow with me for an hour, right? That's going to be the kind of thing later on he's going to say, you know what? I'm not too sure what I think about this Bible thing. I'm not too sure what I think about this church thing. It's important to make sure that we adapt our practices to where our family is at, okay? Um, and so as I think about that, I think about the ways in which uh, growing up in my household, being able to see my parents model for us an altar of worship, an altar of prayer for our family was the fact that the altar of worship and prayer that they introduced us to had wheels on it. What I mean by that is it wasn't like this stationary thing in the corner of our living room, and that was the only place where we connected with God together as a family. We connected with God together as a family in hospitals. We connected with God together as a family in parks. We connected with God together as a family in the living room. We connected with God together as a family, wherever it is. And I would say that was one of the most powerful things that I, I believe I could say, thank you, Lord, for giving me that example, was that we were taught that there's never a moment in time that can't turn into a worship service, 
right? I, I, I'll just, I'll use this example because it's significant. I do the same with my kids. But I remember just walking through the grocery store parking lot and all of a sudden you look down and you see a dingy, dirty, scuffed up penny from like 1970s on the ground, right? Most of the time we just walk right over it, right? It's not even worth your hamstring to reach down and pick up that rusty old penny, right? But every single time, when we would do that as a, as a family, my dad would say, son, mijo, stop, pick it up. Be like, oh, come on, dad. I'd be like 19 years old. Come on, dad. Right. Pick it up. Pick it up. Okay. Thank the Lord for it, mijo. Right. And all of a sudden, right in the middle of the Albertsons or what was it called back then? Luckies. Right. Right. All of a sudden, right in that moment, a penny became an opportunity to figure out how to give God thanks because God provides, right? It, 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 otherwise, it just looks like a piece of, you know, uh, discarded car parts. But all, well, for whatever reason, my dad had an eye for pennies. But every single, I haven't been with my dad once when we walked by a penny and he didn't say, pick it up, mijo. Why? Not just because he's trying to teach us how to be responsible with our money and don't take for granted what you have, but it was a teachable moment. Does that make sense? So I think more importantly than even the 30 minutes or 45 minutes or one hour or two hour period of stopping everything to come together is the 24 hour a day opportunity to see what God is doing and to make sure that you're able to relay that to your families. You see what just happened there? Come here, let's explain that. I love doing that. It's an, an example for me. I, I coached Little League Baseball. And so yesterday, um, I've got kids that are on our team. Half of the kids never played baseball before. The other half have played before. But every single thing that happens, and this is what I teach the kids, just because you're not the one hitting doesn't mean you shouldn't be paying attention because you could learn a whole lot about hitting when you're not hitting. You can learn a whole lot about running the bases when you're not running the bases. You can learn a whole lot about fielding a baseball when you're not fielding a baseball. In other words, there's always an opportunity to teach something. So I'll call all the, t yesterday well, something happened and in the middle of the game, I didn't care what's happening in the game. I told all the kids, everybody come over here, stand right here. And they ran up to the, the side of the, the uh, chain link fence by the dugout. And I said, you guys see what just happened right there? This is what that means. Next time that happens, I want all of you guys to do this. You guys got it? And they said, got it coach. All right, go sit back down. And the reason why that's so significant is because as God calls us to build an altar of worship and prayer, that's the invitation that we have as we live our whole lives. Because there are teachable moments all around us, right? I, I love uh, dropping my kids off at school when I can. I can't always do it because of my work schedule, but when I can, I love it because it's a wonderful opportunity to prep them for the day or to maybe debrief yesterday, right? Hey, what happened yesterday? Everything okay? What are you going to do today? What's one thing you're looking forward to today? How can you be uh, an example of God's love today on the playground? And each of them will tell me a, an example of how they could do that. Why do I do those kinds of things? Because even though we're driving on the 605 freeway, it's an altar of worship where we could, I could help prepare them to experience God in a beautiful way in that day. Right? So again, it's important for us to read scriptures together. It's important for us to worship together. But I think what's even more important is practicing 24 hours a day opportunity to say, what is God doing right now? And how can I help teach that and unpack that so that we are learning to worship God with our whole lives? Amen? 
Let's look at Psalm chapter 19 together. Psalm chapter 19. Let's take a look at that. Psalm 19. When you have it, say amen. Make sure you go to 19, not 119. There's a whole bunch of Psalms. Psalm 19. So this is what I mean by practicing 24 hours a day worship of God and an invitation to teach our families how to do that as well. Psalm 19 verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. You ever stopped with somebody, with your kids or somebody that you're with, and, and you just take a look at something and say, wow, take a look at that mountain. Wow, take a look at that sky. Wow, take a look at that tree. Wow, take a look at that ocean. Wow, listen to that bird. Wow, look at that color on that flower. All of those are invitations to reflect on the goodness and the glory of God. It increases a sense of wonder, and that wonder causes our children, no matter what age they are, to think about all the things that our God has done. Right? It's an opportunity for us to reflect and say, man, if God did all that, what else can God do? Right? So verse 1 just starts by saying, look at the heavens declare the glory of God. I want you to think about a beautiful sunset or a beautiful sunrise or, or even just a cloud formation in the sky. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. And now it changes trajectory in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Let me read that one more time, church. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great Reward. Who can discern it? Forgive my faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. And look at verse 14. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What a powerful psalm. 
What a powerful reminder of the ways in which we can observe the goodness of God and, and the ways in which we can delight in the law of God. We can delight in God's truth. We can delight in direction. We can delight in guidance. We can delight in a foundation. We can delight in the fact that no matter what is going on in the world, we can find safety, refuge, and direction when we, when we place ourselves fully within the hands of God, within his teaching. And so Psalm 19 is saying, the heavens declare all of that. His law is beautiful. And there's a, a beautiful prayer right there at the end that simply says, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. And the reason why I, I share that psalm is because every morning when Pastor Josh and myself were growing up, that was something before we went off to the beginning of our start of the day at school, we would repeat after my mom or repeat after my dad or whoever it was that was dropping us off at school, as a way to prepare ourselves for the day. And we still do that with our kids to this day. Right? May the words in my mouth, and I try to do it with my kids slowly because otherwise they've already memorized it and they're just going to zip through it and get ready to jump out and run to, to class. But we go through it slowly. May the words in my mouth, right? And then they go, may the words in my mouth. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> May the words of my mouth, right, and the meditation of my heart be acceptable unto you, O Lord, my rock and my salvation. And so we say that every single day. And then we say, May the angel of the Lord encamp around me and defend me, right? And then I go, All right, get out of here. Go have a great day at school. Be nice to each other. Joseph, don't go inside school without making sure Ruthie's right there next to you, right? So, so we go through this thing, and, and the reason why we do that is because we are trying to train them to recognize that every single day that God blesses us with is an opportunity to reflect the love of God, right? It's an opportunity to reflect this teaching. I want us to take a look at Deuteronomy now, Deuteronomy chapter 11, Deuteronomy chapter 11, and this is ongoing instructions of what we're talking about here this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 16 through 21. Go ahead and turn there. Verse 16 of Deuteronomy 11 says this, be careful or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you and he will shut the heavens so that it will not rain and the ground will yield no produce and you will soon perish from the good land the Lord is giving you. Now let's pause right there and take a look at those first two verses. Essentially what Moses is reminding the people here is to say, be careful to follow all the ways of the Lord. Otherwise you might be tempted to begin following other gods. You might, be get, you might be tempted to follow other cultural traditions and custom that seem appealing to you. And, and I point this out simply because as we look at ourselves in 2022, um, you better believe that there are thousands of agendas every single day that, are, that there are people in boardrooms that are planning and coming together with, with plans and, and, and with, with uh, goals that would cause you and I to follow a particular path that is extremely different than what the Word of God has to say. It's happening today. 
They're all around the world. There are, there are groups, there are industries, there's, there's big business, there are uh, uh, politically motivated, there are religiously motivated groups that are putting together a plan today to cause you and I to be attracted to something that is different than what the Word of God has to say. If we're not aware of that, then it's easy for us to have our blinders on and go throughout the course of our day not recognizing the intentional plans that others have for our lives. Right? Uh, alcohol industry wants us all to become alcoholics. They could, care le- they could care less what happens to our liver, and they can care less how many funerals we have because of our inability to control that substance. Tobacco companies have a huge plan to make sure that as many people as possible get their hands on cigarettes, on all their products, and they're working on it right now. In fact, I was listening to to an article recently that was referring to the ways in which some of these big corporations intentionally give lots of charitable donations to organizations within urban settings so that they can actually have political support to get people to continue supporting these products so that it looks like they're doing good things and by doing good things they can continue putting their, their products out into the world. So there are intentional plans to destroy our communities. Does that make sense? Pornography, billboards, uh, you name it. I can go on and on about the list of things that people are intentionally planning to cause us to pursue a life that is different than what the word of God has to say. So if we're not aware of that and if we're not teaching ourselves and our families how to pursue God's way, then don't, don't be surprised then when all of these uh, uh, overt and subliminal messages that are part of these intentional plans to teach us to pursue a, an ideology that's different than the word of God begins to take root in our lives and in the lives of our kids. We begin to believe lies and think that the true path to happiness is all these other things. When in reality, we know that the best joy comes when we are living our lives in alignment with the created purposes that God has intended for us. When we live our life as a righteous man or a righteous woman. When we pursue Jesus and we pick up our cross daily and follow him in our lives instead of looking for ways in which we can make ourselves a little bit happier. When we plant ourselves and root ourselves within the word of God, the community of God, the people of God, and the purposes of God, we will find fulfillment that the world cannot offer. And so it starts here in Deuteronomy chapter 11 by simply saying, be careful, right? Somebody say, be careful. In our public schools, I'm I'm a a, a fan personally of sending my kids to public schools. I don't know if that's because I'm a cheapskate and and can't afford private schools or if because I believe that our kids can somehow make a difference in those classrooms and and be a light of, of, of the gospel or maybe it's a combination of those two things. But whatever the case may be, I'm not pulling my kids out of those systems. What I want to do is teach them and say, when you hear this, I want you to know this. When they tell you this, I want you to stand firmly on this. When somebody brings this up, this is how I want you to go about that in that classroom or on the playground. Because this is what we believe as a family. So be careful or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you and he will shut the heavens so that it will not rain and the ground will not yield produce. 
You will perish from the good land that the Lord has given you. I don't want to perish from the good land that God's given me. I want to enjoy the good land that the Lord's given me. So how do I do that? By staying closely tied to God's will, to his presence, to his purpose, to his love, to his law. Amen. So it says here, verse 18, fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds and tie them as symbols on your your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land that the Lord swore to give your forefathers as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. So this is, again, Moses' instruction in Deuteronomy is to say, hey, don't just let your religious instruction take place on, in synagogue. Don't just let your religious instruction take place in the temple. Make sure that we're talking about it, right? We're talking about it. We're processing together. That's why I love being part of a a healthy, vibrant church community. You want to know why? I know I'm a pastor. I know a lot about the word of God. I've studied a lot, right? But I also have limited time, limited energy. Uh, You know, I don't uh, leave church and then all of a sudden take my kids through four hours of extended theological instruction, right? But what I get to do is this. What did you guys talk about in Sunday school today? Right. And so I thank you for those of you who are their teachers in Sunday when we're in here worshiping, when we're in here listening to the word of God in the sanctuary. And those of you who are volunteering as Sunday school teachers, you are giving me uh, as a father an opportunity to unpack and process with them what they learn. Don't worry. I'm not like trying to correct or clean up anything that you're teaching. It's okay. (laughs) Don't don't feel, you know, uh, what I ask them is what you guys talk about. Oh, we talked about this story. What'd you learn about that story? Okay, what does that mean then? How, how can you live that out as a, as a Christian, right? And we talk about it as a family, but, but your instruction in Sunday school gives me that opportunity to start that conversation on a Sunday afternoon on our drive home from church. So thank you. Thank you for serving our, my children and our church by being faithful. And that, that's how we work together as a body of Christ. Does that make sense? And so I'm grateful for that. Um, and, and so... Being able to build this in to the regular rhythms of what we do is a significant piece. Processing with them what they're learning, right? One of the things that I love uh, as a father uh, that I think is significant because what I'm trying to do is help train them not just to follow my instructions and be obedient to me as a dad. If I only care about them following my instructions and being obedient to me as a dad, then when they're 18 years old, they might care less what it is that I taught them for 18 years of their life, right? I'm less interested in those things as I am helping them to establish a relationship with their heavenly father, right? I want them to learn how to love Jesus, how to experience Jesus's love. I want them to learn why it's important that we talk about these things on the drive home from church. Why it's important that we pray this prayer on the way to school. Why it's important that we do this thing a certain way at lunchtime when somebody does this or says that. I I want them to know why we're doing those things because if they know why, they're more likely to hold on to that once they leave my household, whenever they go to college or whenever they finally go off and, and start their own family. I want them to know why we're doing these things because the more they know why, the more they're likely to hang on to the things that we've been talking about. Right? 
And sometimes that means we have some answers to give our kids. Sometimes that means we just keep asking the question. I love teaching by asking. Jesus kind of taught that way. If you notice the way Jesus taught, whenever somebody, he's teaching somebody and they ask him a question, he asks them a question back. Because that's a deeper way of learning, right? Because if I just give my kids answers, right, then they're not learning how to ask the good questions and then continue to respond to those questions. So I love responding to them. When they ask me a big question, I might ask, well, what do you think about that, right? And that gives us an opportunity to have a dialogue and I can point out ways in which, hey, you know what? That was a really good response that you had right there. You're right on track. And that's exciting, right? That's exciting. And so this is important for us to, 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 again, Deuteronomy chapter 11 is saying, hey, when you're walking on the road and when you're going to your house and coming out of your house, talk about these things. Instill them, right? Ask these questions. Um, I'm not going to read it, but I want to just reference, again, another scripture that's significant in this conversation, Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15, which says, you know, Joshua's talking to the tribes of Israel, and they're getting ready to actually inhabit this land. So Deuteronomy is kind of like the earlier warning from Moses. Moses is saying, one day we're going to be in the promised land, and when you get there, I want you to know how to live in such a way that will allow you to have favor with God, right? So Moses is kind of like preparing them to enter the promised land. And then when Joshua comes around, they're actually like their toes are getting ready to cross the Jordan River into the the promised land. So Moses is like preparation period. Joshua's leadership is we're going into this land right now. Like it's happening, right? So that's a little bit of the historical context. So when when Joshua gets ready to go in, Joshua says, we're going into the, the, the land that God promised for us. And I want to just one more time remind you, just like Moses has reminded us, that when we go in, you're going to have to choose who you're going to serve. And Joshua says, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Right? As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I know we live in a day and age where it's kind of a uh, popular thing for parents and families to say, well, you know what? I I try not to push anything on my kids because I want them to make their own decisions. um, And, you know, that way they don't resent me for pushing anything on them. And, And what I would say is, well, then you're really ignoring the fact that there's a thousand people pushing something on them today. So, so they're either going to fa- fall into one of the th- those thousand things that somebody's pushing on them, or they're going to fall into the thing that you should be pushing on them, which is the love of Jesus. Somebody says, Pastor, isn't that like brainwashing? And be like, well, if brainwashing means there's a lot of crud in your brain and it needs to clean, get cleaned out, then I guess so. Would you rather have a clean brain or... Let me, let me not go there, <laughs> right? So again, yeah, we don't have to, you know, take this and start slamming it over our kid's head and somehow all of this is going to get through osmosis transferred over into their hearts and minds. No, but if they're in my home, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to go to church. We're going to listen to worship music. We're going to pause for prayer. We're going to give God thanks for the things that he's doing. We're going to pray together over our needs and the needs of others. We're going to go do some nice things for other people because God calls us to do that. If you live in my household, that's what we're going to do, right? When you, when you get older and you leave, then, then you got to choose what you're going to do. But up until then, this is, how we're going to, this is how we're going to live, right? As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Amen? 
So I know we have communion, but I want to just give a few practical application points for what some of this may look like. So again, we've been talking about this so far this morning in some of the passages that we've looked at. But on the one hand, we need to have a proactive vision, a proactive vision for how our family is pursuing the altar of God in our homes. What do I mean by a proactive vision? See, on the one hand, Christians today, a lot of Christians today, a lot of churches today have a defensive approach to uh, how we are to train up our children and our families to, to know God and to follow God. What I mean by that is it's all reactive. Oh no, look what's happening over there. So we better do this. Oh no, look what's happening over there. We better do this. The thing about it is in any sport or in any contest, if all you have is defense, you're never going to score any points. Right? If all you are is like, is reacting to everything around you, but you don't know where you're going, why you're going there, how you're going to get there, when you're going to get there, who's coming with you, what it looks like, right? If, if we don't have a vision for where we're headed, then we're always going to be on the defensive. We're always going to be under attack because we don't have a sense of where we're actually going. Does that make sense? So where it starts is essentially saying, rather than only being on the defensive at all times, is sometimes the best defense is a good offense, right? Sometimes being able to say, this is where we're going. Where are we going? We are aiming to be the kind of family that exhibits these kinds of characteristics. We are doing these things. We go to church, not just because you do that on Sundays, but we're going there because we want to be more like Jesus. We are going to learn the word of God so that we can apply the word of God so that when life comes and hits us, we're not scrambling for truth, but we know exactly how to apply the truth of God's word into the very situation and circumstance that we find on Monday morning. We're not hit off, off guard, but we've been planting the word deeply in our hearts so that we might not sin against God and so that we can live in such a way that reflects all that God's been doing. We have a plan. We have a vision. We know where we're going. Right? When we worship, this is why we worship. When we lift our hands, this is why we lift our hands. When we read the word of God, this is why we read the word of God. When we pray, this is why we pray. Right? Being able to do all these things is so significant because it's providing a vision a proactive vision of where we're headed as a family, why we're doing these things, not just make sure you do these things, right? Because if that's the case, then it's really easy for, for, our, for us as humans and for our children to get defensive and to, to not fall in. But if we say this is why, this is where we're going and this is why we're going there, then that's significant for us as we establish a proactive vision for establishing a family altar of worship. Okay, we've been talking a little bit about having a plan of defense, recognizing that, again, we are under attack all the time. Okay? And now with smartphones and, and uh, um, uh, iPads and tablets and laptops and you name it, there are just so many different ways for messages to creep into our homes. Right? For images for, for different versions of truth, for somebody saying, this is what you need. This is what you should go after. This is what you should look like. This is what you should be trying to do. This is who you should be trying to become. We have all these different messages, so we need to be able to say, you know what, we've got a stronger message than all of those messages. We need to have a defensive plan to protect our families and our kids, but we also need to have a strategy to say, this is why we're going in this particular direction. Amen? So then what, here's what it comes down to. What it comes down to is this. See, because I could, I could see a message like this where we say we want to establish a, a time and place for our families to grow together spiritually. 
And again, I could see a message like that basically ending and saying, you know what, as long as every Thursday night at 6.30, there's a a particular set-aside time, and as long as we spend an hour together in Scripture reading, then we are doing our due diligence. The best witness that we can have as mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, and uncle to help our kids learn how to establish an altar of worship is to lead by example. They could care less what I tell them to do if they're not watching me live my life in such a way that makes them feel like it's something worth doing. Does that make sense? If I need to work on my relationship as a husband or my relationship as a father, that's the best spiritual thing you could do for your family. Because it doesn't matter how much scripture you have memorized, if you're not living an example as a good husband or a good father, then all that scripture is going to be, it's going to, it's going to be like they can't even hear it coming into their ears. In fact, not only is it going to be nullified, but it's going to become poisoned. And now all of a sudden their image of Christianity, of faith, of church is going to be disrupted and disturbed because of our inability to be faithful to God, to just be a good husband and a good father. Wives, same thing. Grandpas, same thing. Grandmas, same thing. Uncles, aunts, same thing. The best thing we could do spiritually for our families is to live our lives in such a way that demonstrates the love of Christ. When we do that well, when we do that well, that begins to open the door. That begins to open the door to say, I wonder why dad lives that way. Well, it's because, here, the word, I wonder why mom lives that way. Well, it's because she's a woman of prayer. She's a woman of the word, right? And it all of a sudden begins to connect the dots for our kids. So the best spiritual thing we could do, right? The best spiritual thing we could do is is fill our homes with a whole bunch of love. Okay, that's the best thing. Again, like I said, you could put on worship music, elevate music, Maverick City music, Hillsong music, old hymns. I don't care. You could blast it like to the, to the highest decibel. You, you, the house could be shaking with worship music, but if we're not living a good example of somebody who demonstrates love, right, then it's not doing much good. So number one is a good example. Okay, number two is filling our homes with love. Number three is being emotionally available and, ha- and practicing good communication with our families. Right? If I can't talk with my kid about a challenge that they have, don't start preaching the word to them. Can I say that one more time? Was that a little hard for us? It got real quiet real fast. It got really quiet real fast. If I can't be open to hearing from my kids what they're going through, don't start preaching the word to them. Because if, if they don't feel like you can listen to them, why should they feel like they need to listen to you? Again, why am I sharing this? Because it's opening the door for the gospel to be communicated in a powerful way. Does that make sense? We've got to demonstrate I am emotionally available and I'm practicing good communication. If I do that, guess what? It opens the door now for good spiritual conversations. But don't start preaching to them if there's no capacity throughout the week to sit down and talk with them and hear how their week has been going. Start with that and then figure out how to preach. Start with listening 
and sharing with them and, and, and asking them how they're doing, asking them how they're feeling today. You doing okay? Is there anything you need? Anything dad can do, anything mom can be doing for you? Anything mom and dad can be doing or praying for you this week? If we establish that foundation, guess what? You just open the door now to be able to bring the word of God into that conversation. That's hard for us to do. It's a challenge for us to do. Okay, so I don't want to sit up here and say, okay, everybody, make sure you, you are doing one hour of Bible study together as a family every week. And that's the best way to establish a spiritual altar. Honestly, before you start doing that, practice some time to talk. And then if we can get to talking, then let's start talking about how we're going to figure out the way in which the word of God is going to enter into that conversation. But if we don't have uh, lines of communication, then let's not start making expectations that somehow you need to become a, a Bible study teacher in your home. Am I stepping on my own toes? Yes, I am. Is it good for all of us? Yes, it is. Amen? Okay, so that's number three. Number four, we've been talking about this one already. Teachable moments. Be ready at any time, at any given day, to be able to point out what Jesus is doing in that particular moment. Right? This is what this means, son. This is what this means, daughter. Take a look at this. What do you think about that? Let's talk about that, right? Look for teachable moments throughout the day. Number five, now we're getting to it. Pray and worship together. Pray and worship together as a family, right? Um, just take a little bit of time. Again, I got small kids, so we're going to just do a little bit together, right? I'll play a song on the piano, right? And we'll sing together, and that's it. And then they're off running and doing their, you, you know, drawing markers and tell all over their face, but at least we got three minutes to be able to just come together as a family and, and, and sing a quick song together, right? So praying and worshiping together. Number six, teach the word, right? And all that God has taught. Did you see how number six came at the end? Because oftentimes we want to just put that up front and get it over with and not have to deal with all the other hard stuff. When in reality, if we want to really establish an altar of allowing God to work in us and in our homes, we got to do the hard things first. And if we do that, it opens up a door and window of opportunity for us to live and walk in the word of God. There will be respect. And not only that, there will be lifelong commitment to discipleship and our children will serve the God, serve the Lord and their children will serve the Lord. If we establish these patterns in our lives and in our homes. Amen.